On today's podcast episode, we pick up our interview with my oldest son, Jared, being dumped at my doorstep at four in the morning. I will help fill in some details of his story because honestly, he is unable to remember some of what was happening at that point. Just saying that makes my heart ache, and I am sure you will hear that in my voice. So let's go ahead and get started. Have you ever felt that we are losing young people to the world around them and that they have already chosen to walk away from Jesus without even knowing him? And did you know that all young people are at risk for something? That's why I want to welcome you to the Jesus is my hashtag podcast, where positive youth development and youth ministry intersect. I'm your host, Deb Schroeder. Join me weekly for encouragement, resources, and strategies to assist you in helping young people make Jesus their hashtag. Welcome back to the Jesus is My Hashtag podcast in our fourth segment of the interview with my oldest son, Jared. I'd like to tell you that we have hit rock bottom, but as you learned in the last podcast episode, Jared was still falling. If you've missed any of this interview, make sure you go back and check out episodes 26, 27, and 28. So at the same time we were struggling with Jared, I already mentioned that my dad was starting another battle with cancer, and his other grandpa was nearing the end of his life. That meant my husband was traveling back and forth to spend time with him and to help his mom out. It's hard for me to say this and talk about this because I don't want to dump more shame or guilt on Jared at all in this point because he can't redo what he did, but it was horrible. My husband, he'd gone down a couple hours away to be with his dad, to see him and to be able to say his goodbye. And, um, you know, that conversation I know Tom and had with Jared before he left is just, you know, we knew Jared was having problems and he just, I remember him begging Jared just to hold it together, not to do that. It was so hard. You know, my dad's cancer was worse at that point and had come back and it just was really all around us. Everything was caving in just in life in general, besides even Jared. And so, yep, yep. He was going to stay. He was going to do that while he left. And then within an hour, Jared was gone. And so the night progressed and I'm texting. So 12 o'clock long time after nothing. And so I sat up till four in the morning, you know, and I didn't tell, I intentionally chose not to tell Tom this because he couldn't do anything about it and he needed to be there fully present for his dad. And I remember feeling so alone as I sat there, like I talked earlier, is this the time that he's not going to come home or is this the time that um, he's going to use something that's going to end his life or he's going to make a decision that's going to get him in trouble or hurt himself or hurt someone else. And I never felt so alone. And throughout that four hours, I texted and I'd called and I'm sure they shut your phone off. Probably shouldn't mention this to him, but well, he probably knew at that point I could check where he was at and he'd turn off the find me on the phone while his friend shut the phone off. I knew where he was at. You know, and at that point, it's like, should I call the police and should I send them that way? And I was terrified to send the police there for him to get in trouble for something because I knew good things were not happening there. And so I chose not to send the police that way and just to wait it out. And I remember being in tears and just crying out to God and waiting and 
what a horrid feeling it was like he's knocking on the door trying to get in and I open the door and I hear them tires screeching out like they just dumped him they didn't know if he was going to make it they didn't know if he was alive I mean I'm thankful that in their stupidity that they still thought enough to get him home safe I remember sitting there with Jared laying on the couch at that point he'd kind of stopped throwing up him crying and just crying and weeping and saying, I think I'm going to die. And I'm so sorry, mom. I'm so sorry. I can't believe I do that, did this. And just to see your child so broken and so out of control and the hard part, you know, then you go to what a failure you are as a parent and how did I let this happen? And I should have done it different. And you know, for me, it, even a little harder because I'm like, this is my background. This is my experience. I work with at-risk kids and all kids are at risk for something. But my own kid is choosing such poor, unhealthy choices. And for so long, you know, you worried what people were going to say and and just all of those emotions. And, you know, through some of this, at some point, I'd hit the point that his story is his story and his shame is his shame. I don't have to own that. But that was like, probably my lowest moment as a parent was that night and being alone. And had God not been with me, I wouldn't have been strong enough to sit there with him. And, you know, I don't even know if you know all those details, Jared. It's just, I don't, I don't. Not, this is one of our you know, I'm crying as I'm sitting here telling him this and you still feel it so hard because my hopes and my dreams and my fears for my kids and we were living it. We were living one of my greatest fears was that he would walk away from Jesus and he'd be hurt and he was broken. And, you know, you just keep thinking this is like he talked about it. This is it. This is the bottom. I've hit rock bottom. And unfortunately, no, that, was that not. wasn't rock bottom. I think, you know, I think I don't know exactly why I continue to make choices after that. Um, I think it just still from the same place. It's it still baffles me why, because that was a really, really low point. Um, and the fact that it got lower still baffles me because, you know, I had I had the evidence that I wasn't I wasn't, you know, ready to do this. But then, you know, they just the same, you know, thing. Cause I remember you grounded me after that for a long time for about a month, I think. Mm -hmm. And I didn't. And, um, and during that month, it just, the, uh, the same things just started to pop up. It's, you know, I think after about a week I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. I want to go back out there and do it again. And then I, there were issues. There wasn't like another night like that until, um, until you, Mal, and Dad went um, went away, because uh, I think Dad's father had passed away, um, and so it was just me and my brother home. And I told Jacob, you know, I'm gonna have one of my friends over tonight. So just don't tell Mom. And we ended up, you know, we got the Jake was there the whole time, and. My friend got there and we started drinking. I got drunk and decided it would be a cool idea to throw a party while mom and dad weren't weren't home. So we brought people over and then they brought weed over again. Um, I remember they rolled up a joint and um, in your bath, what was your bathroom at that time, mom? And um, you could still I mean, you walked in the next day and you could smell everything. Um, and I got really drunk, almost 
blackout drunk again. And I ended up throwing up that night and Jake was there the whole time. And then I just remember, you know, the next day um, there were so, cause I didn't, honestly, I probably knew about three of the people that, that were over there. And I just said, let's make this like a cool party. Let's, so they invited a bunch of people. I had no idea. And they ended up, uh, I don't know who exactly, but they ended up stealing pretty much all the money out of my, all, all the money out of my wallet. Um, my, I think, I don't know if they stole my debit card or what they took all my gift cards. They took my brother's beats and they probably took, um, they took your Birkenstocks. Yeah. Which, yeah, they took my Birkenstocks as well, which I've never gotten a new pair from that. I think there's a little PTSD there with Birkenstocks. I don't know what, but, um, yeah. And then I thought, so then one of my friends who was over there, we, I don't remember what time we kicked him out. Cause I was really drunk and high and he cl- basically cleaned up everything while I was downstairs in the downstairs bathroom throwing up. Um, and then I came back upstairs and I thought I had remembered, I'm going to get away with this. There's no way Jake's telling it, saying anything. And that was not fair um, to put Jake in that position. Cause I don't think he told he was going to say anything and he got busted as much as I did, uh, but it was not fair for him to have to sit upstairs. And what was our room at the time? Well, you know, I was have had a bunch of random people over getting drunk. It was not a fair position to put them in to, you know, and it wasn't to, safe. I mean, no, not even wasn't. just unfair. It, wasn't, it was so yeah. not safe. Yeah. I had no idea what was going on. I had no idea what the people were doing in the, in the house. Um, and I remember I thought, you know, okay, because I don't remember what you got home later. We got uh, home the next day. day and the cleaning up was not done well in my bathroom. And no, they were red still, solo cups and we said red solo yeah. cups party. Yeah. And that was, I think that, I don't know about you, but that's where I felt I kind of broke any just about any last bit of trust you, you had in me i mean at that point that was i think um i think that was even lower than the coming home at 4 a.m drunk and high for me because i that really i was really ashamed of I was that angry. i was so angry because i our home was violated yeah um jacob was unsafe and we were I was unsafe as well. And yeah, you were unsafe. Everybody was. And at that, I don't know, not to sound that I didn't care about that, but you were really kind of, excuse my language, you were hell bent on doing whatever you wanted and harming yourself. Right. And at some point as a parent, you really can't stop that. And you can try, but you don't have control over that. And I think for me, the breaking point of our trust was because you put your brother at such risk. And, you know, that just, and I think for your dad too, that was so hard for us because Jacob wanted you to not be in trouble, didn't want you to be angry. And he didn't probably feel safe with you on some level, which breaks my heart to say as a parent, I mean, you know, how unsafe he had to have felt. And, you know, at that point, I also, don't you think that kind of did some additional damage to your relationship with Jacob? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, it was even um, not just the fact that I had violated our home. Cause I took, I remember you telling me all this and for, I think one of the first times I kind of, 
I at least half listened and I really started the process, what you said. And then instead of changing, I pushed it down again. Mm-hmm. And that added to the shame because it wasn't just the fact that I had, you know, I had put Jake in that position. I had violated and made, you know, brought people into the home when I wasn't supposed to and people I didn't know and just done really dumb things in there. It was also the fact that grandpa um, had passed away. And I, that looking back now, I mean, that's just really shocking to me that I was that far down that bad path um, that I wasn't care. I didn't care about that. I never thought once that night. To think that you didn't even think about it. That is some of what brokenness does. And that is what this depression. So, you know, if you were having an addiction or the start of an addiction, you were medicating all that pain and all those emotions that you had pushed down. And we see that happen with young people. We see that happen with adults. And it's kind of a challenge, you know, when, you know, with young people, as they want to experiment. And and when Jared started out on that path, he didn't think he would spiral and fall down so much, but he wasn't the same kid. The person that we were seeing, we knew he was still in there and we knew there was something so good about him and we still saw it. And we, we were fighting for that person and Jared was fighting against that person. And that's, you know, that's some of this battle with the enemy. And I, and, you know, I firmly believe that at that point, the enemy had such a strong hold and power over you and he whispered lies to you and we could just pray is all we could do at that point. Jared was lost. And if I'm being honest, part of me was even afraid that we weren't going to fully get him back. Our emotions were a roller coaster, a back and forth. While we still saw glimpses of the Jared that we knew It was getting less frequent and the tension in our home was almost unbearable at times. We were fighting to keep a sense of normal for Jacob and Mallory as well. They were hurting watching everything with Jared and they were confused by his choices. Their own trust with him had been broken several times at this point. Now, I already mentioned that I felt like a failure, that I had this sense that I should have been able to stop this or intercede because my background and my work experience was working with at-risk youth. Talk about humbling. And I felt such shame and such helplessness. I remember that so clearly. At this point, I didn't want people to know because I wanted to protect Jared from the judgment that would come from others. The longer this continued, the more I didn't want to be judged either. The fear, anxiety, and heartbreak I was experiencing left me raw with emotion. And even though I knew that deep down it wasn't my fault and it wasn't my shame, I still carried it. As we continued to struggle, I found the strength in God to realize that I didn't have to carry the responsibility or the shame for what was happening. I was doing my best. Now, I didn't do everything right. I mean, I've already mentioned in a previous episode that I held on a little too tightly and pushed a little too hard at times. But leaning into God allowed me to start letting go. I briefly talked about the enemy holding on to Jared. He had turned his back on God and there was a stronghold over Jared from Satan. This type of battle couldn't be fought or won by my husband and I. We had to submit Jared entirely to God, and all we could do was keep praying. 
If you are a youth worker and experiencing a pit with a young person in your life, your battle plan is the same. You need to continually communicate how much you care about that young person, and then you pray. You keep showing up, you keep offering help, and then you keep praying. Whatever your role, the young people in our lives need us to be an army of prayer warriors for them. We knew in our heart, Jared was not ready to go away to college. We knew. But we also knew, you know, we begged him, let's take a year off, work for a year, figure out what you want to do. Well, he wanted to go have a party experience at college. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah. I wasn't I wasn't going for the school. I wanted to get out of my house because, you know, this was this was me being independent. I can finally, you know, a little bit was like I can show them that I can I can, you know, do this on my own. Well, I'm going to do it again. Another cliffhanger. This is where we wrap up today's interview. In our next episode, we start to look at Jared's transition out of our home and his first semester in college. Any guesses on whether he is about to hit rock bottom? Join me next time to find out. Hey there, fellow youth workers. Thanks for tuning in today. Remember what Matthew 9.37 tells us. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. In other words, keep showing up and keep caring.